trusting in awareness and allowing the practice to be guided by mindfulness and wisdom rather than by self-view and willpower, planning and habitual exercising of, of force, deciding to do this, not wanting to do that, wanting to be this way, not wanting to be that way. So easily wrapped up in conceit and self-view, eye-making and mind-making. If the practice is guided by awareness, trusting in awareness, then the effort is made, guidance is given, direction is given, free of conceit, self-view. Then the exercising of energy, giving direction, it's not stressful, not burdensome. The heart isn't waiting for it to be over so that some peace can be found. It's enjoyable, delightful, even as effort is being made. Uh, This leads to what I call unentangled participating. As a participation in the field of experience. The ground under our feet, the air we're breathing, the sky above us, the buildings around us, the people that we share our time with. The sensations of our body. The moods and feelings, thoughts that arise and pass in this mind. There isn't a rejection or an aversion or a a blotting out of all those patterns of experience. Rather, the heart participates, is attuned to all of the changes of the natural order, inside, outside, with objects, people, creatures, events. The attunement of the jitta is that participation It's the charana, the Buddha's quality of vijaya-charana-sampano, that accomplished, consummate, skilled in conduct. That's what this points to, a skilled and balanced, perfectly integrated participation with people, things, time, place, situation. And the vijja element, that vijjadhatu, the element of knowing, of awareness, that's the unentangled aspect. Vijja, awareness, is not limited. It's boundless. Space doesn't apply. Location doesn't apply. Time doesn't apply. It's timeless, unlocated non-personal, aware. So it's intrinsically unentangled. It can't be entangled. It's intrinsically boundless, limitless. 
So this quality of unentangled participation, or hands-on letting go, as Ajahn Sujito put it, this is that mysterious balance of the middle way that the heart arrives at when it's free of greed, hatred, and delusion, when it's perfectly in tune with the present reality, with its own nature. But the attention gets distracted. Suddenly there's an ache in our leg or a a memory of some responsibility that we need to fulfill. An anxiety about a conversation we have to have later in the day. Changes in the weather. Changes in the people around us. And the mind latches on to a feeling in the body or a memory, a thought, an expectation. It goes out, gets lost in its moods. When Lumpur Dun, one of the great Thai forest ajans, talked about the, uh, the Four Noble Truths, he liked to describe dukkha this kind of a way. The cause of dukkha is the habit of the mind going out, getting lost in its moods, lost in its perceptions. That's the cause of dukkha. And the result of that is that being lost, that lostness, born into that feeling in your leg, that responsibility, that excitement, that conflict, whatever it might be, that's the experience of dukkha is that entangled, born into that condition, limited by that, identified with that. The mind going out and getting lost in its moods is the cause, having got lost. That's the effect of dukkha. That is dukkha. Jatipi dukkha. Birth is dukkha. That's what this means. That psychological birth is intrinsically limiting, imperfect, painful, has a feeling of wrongness or uncontrollability unownability to it. The heart tries to grasp it, to be it, but it falls away, slips away. So, dukkha, hard to bear. The way to the ending of dukkha, in Lumpur Dun's expression, is the capacity of the mind to know the mind reflective awareness, reflective wisdom. This is the path, that capacity that is here in this heart, this mind of ours. And when that's acted upon, when that awareness is applied, when that seeing capacity is used, then what follows is the ending of dukkha. That, oh, I see, oh, how could this be owned? How could this be permanent? How could this be who and what I am? 
Oh, see, dukkha nirodha, the ending of dukkha, is the result of the mind knowing the mind. So it's important to get to know how that process of going out and getting lost in moods, perceptions, thoughts, feelings, how that happens. To know the painfulness of it, to let that painful, challenging quality be what teaches. That's often the most powerful and effective guiding force is, is pain. Be nice to just learn from pleasure, but it doesn't seem to work quite that way. Really acknowledging the painful result of having been born into a, a sensation, a relationship, a gain, a loss, an identity. Let the dukkha speak for itself. Just that ow in the heart, not explained, not qualified, not apologized for, not covered up with a whole pile of resolutions of how you're going to do it different in the future. Most effectively, directly, just to let that pain have its, have its impact. Feel it. No explanation, no verbalizing around it. Just let the pain have its effect. Ow! And that, in a way, brings a, a kind of non-conceptual, bone-deep learning. We learn on a physical level, an intuitive, instinctual level. It's like burning your hand on a hot stove. You don't have to think, that's hot. You know. Before words, that's hot. Get the hand out of the way. So the more fully and in an uncomplicated way that dukkha feeling is received, is apprehended, idang dukkhang, this is dukkha, then the more the heart can learn from that, be guided by that. As the practice develops, then it becomes a little easier to notice that way that the mind relates to its objects, going out and getting caught up in its moods of what is liked, what is disliked, what's worried about, what we're feeling responsible for, have an opinion about. That becomes more and more familiar territory, more and more well-known. In the characteristics of existence that uh, Ajahn Buddha Dasa would describe, along with the first three of Anicca, Dukkha, Anatta, and the second three that he would describe, Dhamma Tittata, Dhamma Niyamata, Idapachayata, so there's second three being Dhamma Tittata, of the the nature of Dhamma or established in Dhamma, the presence of Dhamma, Dhamma Niyamata following the laws of Dhamma, the laws of nature, the orderliness of reality, 
Yadapachayata, meaning the laws of conditionality, how one thing affects another. Those are the second three da's. And the last three da's that he would speak about were sunyata, emptiness, tatata, suchness, and atamayata. Sunyata is a way of saying no to the world of things. No, there is no thing there. But that can lead to a, if that's held unskillfully, that can lead to a kind of vibhavatana, a pushing away, an aversiveness, a negation. Tatata, suchness, is a way of saying yes to everything. Here it is. It's like this. But again, if that's held unskillfully, it can lead to possessiveness, or giving a false solidity to things, a bhavatanha, an eternalism, giving a false substantiality to that. And just like the other characteristics of existence, these are ways of reflecting on the field of experience. So if they're held skillfully, then you're recognizing the mind is making things too solid, so you reflect upon emptiness. You recognize the mind is being too aversive or pushing things away, switching off, then reflect upon suchness, as isness, thusness. We use those ways of inclining the attention to clarify a skillful way of receiving, knowing the present. Or sunyata is saying no to the world of things. Tatata is saying yes to the world of things. Atamayata is a, an unfamiliar concept to many people, but Ajahn Buddha Dasa called this the the, the last word of Buddhism, the highest concept of Buddhism. And it literally means not made of that. A, not, tan, that, maya, made of, da-ness, not made of that-ness. So there isn't even a that to go and say that it's empty or that it's it's there or it's such. It's a complete letting go, a complete uh, embodiment of that quality of awakened awareness itself, not thatness. So this is the most refined quality of awareness, atamayata. And the word itself comes from the way that the physics of or well, the biology of, of perceiving was regarded in the, the Buddha's time. It was taken that, the, say, the eye, to re- perceive an object, would send out a kind of ray to occupy the object that would then be consisting of that object, tanmayata, tanmaya, made of that. And it comes back to the perceiver and is registered as that object. So 
Atamayata is that quality of not going out, not occupying and identifying with an object. So not going outness, not creating a world of things. This is a, a subtle concept, a subtle quality, but it's worthy of reflection. So on the subject side, it's also called non-identification, a complete emptying out of conceit and self-view. There's awareness, but there's no I. No, I am. I have associated with that. Is the purified subject, if you like. The pure subject. Awakened awareness with no person, no I. Also, it's known as non-fashioning. That not making the world of things, not conceiving thingness. It's recognizing that the field of perception, activities of eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind, it's just a, a constantly fluid succession process of conditions and causes and effects. No real things have ever been here. To use the word a thing is just a conventional convenience. That's all. And when the heart embodies that quality of atanmayata as a staying at home, being at home in the Dhamma, the Dhamma knowing its own nature. There's no thing to go out into. The heart doesn't go out. It stays in, stays where it is. So it brings a profound quality of ease and peacefulness. Completeness. Nothing to get, nothing to get rid of. Nothing to be or to not be. The Dhamma is self-consistent, self-supporting, self-aware. Being Dhamma is what this quality leads to. As Atamayata is, is refined, perfected. What remains is the Dhamma aware of its own nature. Being Dhamma, as Lumpucha would call it. And if there's a thought, I am the Dhamma, that's what I am. That's just an I am thought arising that can be known by that same awareness. No need for any I ams or I am nots. They become meaningless in this sphere of awareness. And even though it might sound very spacey or disconnected, the effect of the establishment of this quality of awareness is that unentangled participating as a profound and perfect attunement to the time, the place, the situation, what is needed.
but without burden, without stress, without limitation. What needs to be done is done. Joyfully. And what can't be done is left aside joyfully. Nothing is missing. There's no thing for a me to accomplish or a thing for me to leave undone. The heart responds to each moment, doing what it can, unexalted, all-sustaining. 